Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary. Pretty Scary Boo. Pretty Scary Boo. Hey, Caitlin. Yeah, Adam. Guess what we're talking about this week? I, uh, elephants? We are, that's close. That's very close. Oh, okay, okay. We're, okay. we're talking about some terrifying small towns. And Got it. in uh, a sharp contrast to most list-based things that happen on the internet, We're not talking about five. We're not talking about 10. We're talking about two. Two small towns that are terrifying for very different reasons. Sure, sure. They are not elephant related, though. I just want to double check that we're not. Right. I was just excited for a second. But you were wrong. But I'm wrong. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. And I didn't want to address it publicly, but here we are. Yep. So that makes sense. You grew up in Long Beach, right? So you didn't grow up in a small uh, town. I mean, I grew up in Orange County, so yeah. I did not grow up in Long Beach. I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which is kind of a small, but it's not a small town. It's a city. Like there's a hundred some thousand people. That's I, a small, I mean, that's that's small. I mean, my graduating class had 2,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Well, my graduating, no, wait, no. What, did you think I said a thousand? Yeah. No, a hundred thousand. Oh, cut out. I was like, Adam, that's a really small town. Yes, a a town of a thousand would indeed be a very, very small town. (laughs) That got me so good. You were like, (laughs) I was so confused. Yeah, it totally cut out when you said that. You're like talking about how you're from a big town. You're like, "I'm I'm from a place of like a thousand people. Yeah, when you said your high school graduating class had 2,000, like my first thought was, yeah, mine had 1,500. That's pretty comparable. <laughs> I don't think we're too far off. That was so good. That was so good. I've been to some small uh, towns, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've driven through them, and they're very scary. I have, I have visited some. I've spent nights in small towns. Small towns, they normally have this, this reputation for being really quaint. Nothing ever happens. Very boring. Not always the case. Not with the towns we're talking about today. We're talking no, on, on, on the no. first half of this podcast, we're talking about Williston, North Dakota, which is actually part of a whole region of North Dakota called the back Can I stop you region. really quickly and just say that for some reason, North Dakota has always scared me for some reason. I've never been. There's something about the Dakotas that just seems rural. And I have no, maybe it's just because I have no concept of what those two states are like at all. I don't like, there's no Looney Tunes version of it. There's no, other than Mount Rushmore. I don't, Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't have a mental image for that at all. Well, it's, it's like anywhere else. I lived in South Dakota for like 10 years, 10 or 11 years. Yeah. I don't know what people are picturing, but it's, they're just, they're just places like the, the, the defining feature of the Dakotas is that things are mostly flat and there's not a lot of trees or buildings to block the wind. It's cold in the winter, 
and it is Africa hot in the summers. It is <laughs> it is brutally humid in the Dakotas in the summer. Uh, yep. But other than that, like it's a lot of casinos in in South Dakota, especially video lottery is legal. So at, oh. at gas stations, at bars, pretty much anywhere they can fit them in, there will be machines where you can sit down and play poker or blackjack and spend your entire week's pay before you even go home on a Friday night to greet your soon to be disappointed wife and kids. <laughs> I was So, let's talk about Williston first. The se- the second town we're going to talk about is Skidmore, Missouri, but uh that'll be the second half of the podcast. Yeah. First, we're talking about Williston, which is one of the biggest God towns in the Bakken region of North Dakota. And when I say that, the entire Bakken region of North Dakota is smaller than most towns. Uh, here's what you should picture when it comes to Williston, okay, North ready. Dakota, and Theater the Theater of the mind. Theater the, of the mind. Just the Bakken region in general. Okay. Imagine Mars. Got it. But everything's beige instead of red. There's the same amount of stuff huh. to do. You have the same potential to grow crops and build a pleasant life. So people should live there. Yeah, like a good place to be. They call it the Badlands and they call it the Badlands because the land is unusable for anything. You can't farm there. You can't use it to feed your animals. It's so funny because the Badlands is like the coolest sounding place. They film a a lot of uh, alien stuff that has been filmed in movies is filmed in the Badlands because it looks so, like you're on the goddamn moon. It's so remote. So we're thinking that this is also a Mad Max Fury Road vibe. And actually, according to what this story turns into, I feel like that's not even that far off, in my opinion. No, definitely not. Because the the thing about this area for years and years and years, it was just this kind of not worthless land, like any land is valuable, especially if you're Native American and most of it's been taken yeah. from you, which that's a big part of this also. But uh, it's just, it, it it was just kind of considered an unusable place. Like you couldn't really do much because of the yeah. constitution of the, the soil and the earth there. But then in 2006, they find oil in that yeah. exact area. They find something called the partial oil field. And no, it's not partial as in only some of the oil field. P-A-R-S-H-A-L-L. So like Marshall, but with a P. They discover this in 2006 and it immediately leads to a massive oil boom in North Dakota, which uh, everyone needs, everyone needs money. So a boom that implies good things. Yeah. Boom. Well, it depends. Booms can be violent. That's that's true. And so what happens with this oil boom is kind of <laughs> overnight, a part of North Dakota that had been considered completely unlivable now has is just bursting at the seams with high paying oil jobs, like almost immediately. But like not the kind of oil jobs where you sit in an office and you wear a suit and tie and you decide no. what foreign nations to topple to improve your profits that year. No, 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 no. This is oil field work. Yeah, this is like what Bruce Willis did in Armageddon, except on the Badlands and not in the ocean or on an asteroid. Right. Although this does sound like an asteroid. Kind of. So it's so it's it's Armageddon plus oxygen. Right. 
cool. If you can handle it, the money you could make doing these jobs, like these were like six figure jobs and they're entry level jobs. You didn't need oilman experience to work these jobs. Yeah, you got. You also have to be dumb enough to not consider why there isn't possibly a catch. <laughs> right. Whenever something, whenever you see something like that, your first, your first thought should be, wait, people live there, right? Why aren't they taking those jobs? Like, wh- yeah, I'd be like, well, I can't get the bins, so this is an underwater welding kind of hazard. But why are you paying me a hundred thousand dollars, even though I have a high school degree, to just do what should be basically a machinist job? And we're gonna right. find out. You're doing this brutal, grueling work. It's paying you a shit ton of money, but also you're in the middle of North Dakota and there is nothing to spend that money on. There was like, there's nothing to do. You have to live in kind of the literal middle of nowhere to do these jobs. Financially, it was great. Despite the great recession that happened in 2008, from 2006 to at least 2014, North Dakota had the lowest unemployment in the nation. At one point, the state had a budget surplus of a billion dollars. Because they had no thing to spend it on. There are 725,000 people in that state. They have (laughs) nothing to spend a billion dollars on. That's scary. And it gets scary. Like they could have just sent every citizen some money and still would have had change left over. Oh, yeah. By 2013, the per capita GDP in North Dakota was 29% higher than the national average. So that's all good news. But here's the problem. Sure. When you suddenly have lots and lots of high-paying, physically demanding, dangerous jobs to fill, you don't really have the luxury of being picky about who you hire. Like, this no. was this was very much a situation where if you were willing to go and you were willing to do the work, you could... Kind of overnight, start making a six-figure income if you just moved to North Dakota. So lots and lots of people did that. And the thing was, think about what we're talking about. I know. Like brutal oil field work that requires you to just uproot your life and move immediately. There's, There's a certain class of dude that is going to take to that job. And we sometimes call them drifters. Uh, I'm so stressed out <laughs> thinking about this pirate town in North Dakota. <laughs> it's like, like, honestly, it's like, I've thought about this while I'm watching Deadliest Catch. Sure. Many times. It's like, well, at least they're all out there together. You know what I mean? Right. Like they, they have to, they have, in order to survive, there's a level of civility that they have to maintain or they're all going to die. So it's like, cool. But you take all of those limitations away, plus bringing families into that uh, yeah, and on the deadliest catch, they're what I thought you meant by they're all together is at least they're sequestered from the rest of society. That's what I mean. That's <laughs> okay, exactly yeah. what I mean. It's like they're on a boat away from all of us, plus as far as how they treat each other, which seems to be part of what we're getting into, yeah. uh, have, they, have, they have to have some kind of equanimity built into their relationships. Like, yeah, they'll yell at each other, but they can't. Be too hostile because you're on a boat in the middle of the scare, one of the scariest environments imaginable. Another tie-in to Armageddon. Right. Yeah. That's and then, the best line in the movie. Scariest environment imaginable. Okay, that's all you had to say. Scariest <laughs> environment imaginable. It's my favorite line in the movie. So they basically get a tsunami of men of questionable character that rolls into North Dakota. 
just thousands and thousands of dudes who were at a point in their life where, sure, I'll fucking pick up and move to North Dakota. What do I got to lose? Like, though, like, what do I got to lose types? And well, it's it's people with nothing to lose. Right. Exactly. Scary. Scary. That's not good if somebody has got nothing to lose. And this happens all over the back in region of North Dakota. But just to give you to use Williston as a specific example in Williston, the population went from 1400 residents in 2009. So so like your town, the bigger, right? Like my high school, uh, (laughs) a few short years later, 6,500 people. And that I know we're talking small town numbers, no, that's, but that doesn't that's a lot. so that doesn't seem like a lot. But that's a lot. Uh, think of it this way, people at home. L.A. There's approximately three point nine million people, closer to four million now. I think it's like three point nine seven million. Uh, if that same increase happened here, it would be closer to nineteen million people just all of a sudden showing up, kind of all at one time. And that's basically what happened in this area. And it turns into a real mo money, mo problems kind of situation because all of these people show up. And as you would expect, the town wasn't, it was like the fucking fire festival. Like people get there and they're like, where's our housing and our food? And they're like, we haven't had that here for decades. What are you talking about? Housing. There's 1400 people in this town. Where you Bunch of pansy-ass city kids coming in here with their Will Ferrell <laughs> movies and their, their air-conditioned dreams. Yeah, it, it ends up being a big, big problem. Uh, one, with the housing, what ends up happening is a lot of these dudes who move to town all at once end up living in what came to be known as man camps. And nope, hard pass. Oh, man. <laughs> Not in my backyard, please. I do not want man camps and these man, (laughs) these man camps, they're just filled to the brim with dudes who are suddenly richer than they've ever been in their lives. And also so frustrated because there's nothing to do. They can't go anywhere because they have a job. Uh, There's not a lot of women like it's North Dakota. There's 725,000 people. So all these people, anybody, I think anybody would be bummed to live in a man camp, period. It just sounds like it sounds like it sounds like a pedophile thing. Like it just seems like, why are you all living oh. in a camp together? What's happening? Man, like, man what did camp you do? sounds like the scariest BDSM bar in the world. Yeah, I wouldn't. Which like, hey, if that's your thing, fine. and I'm sure those people are actually very gentle in general, but, but man camp, oof, that's yeah. a band. Yeah. A band I'm not listening to. So so housing is a problem, but... Man camp. That's still funny. Sorry. <laughs> housing is a problem. All these dudes are in man camps. They have nothing to spend their money on except drugs and alcohol. I was going to say, this sounds a lot like the gold rush. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's never a lack of that. And with all of this newfound wealth and more population, people, especially on the coasts, really underestimate what the gang problem is like in the Midwest. Like LA has the bloods and the Crips, but Chicago and the Midwest has the gangster disciples and the vice Lords, which are the bloods and Crips of the Midwest. They're just as big. They're just as violent. And these gangs from Chicago and Minnesota or Minneapolis start 
moving to Williston into the back in region also. Motorcycle gangs start moving there. And it's just this influx of people competing in this brand new drug market that didn't exist. And it becomes a fucking epidemic in that area in no time at all. Like within a year. And this is in a place, again, it's North Dakota. There's 725,000 people. How many drug treatment centers do you think there are? Mm, One. There was one in this area. And now all of a sudden they have a big city drug problem and none of the resources needed to deal with it. So now there's drugs, there's meth, there's heroin, and obviously crime is going to come along with that. Why? Because crime is more fun when you're high. I don't know if you've ever, (laughs) I don't know if you've ever tried it, but I cannot recommend it highly enough. Maybe that's my problem is all of the crimes I've committed. I've been stone cold sober. It's just like movies. Movies are better when you're high. So is crime. I feel really silly now that we've gotten into this whole man camp culture. I've been doing all my crime wrong. Man camp. (laughs) just picturing dudes in like navy hats and tight white t-shirts smoking cigarettes (laughs) (laughs) then you walk in they're all dressed nice and working on computer like oh i didn't expect this at the man man. they're like oh we're gonna be doing a wine tasting tonight and a scotch tasting on thursday and on friday it's a whiskey tasting that's really when we get pretty crazy that would be a millennial oh oh what are these computers for identity crimes that's what we do when we drink. We just, it's, it's all, we're all part of the dark web over there. That's, that's Greg. Say hi, Greg. Hi, Greg. Greg handles all the black market organ deals. Say hi. Okay. <laughs> that's Larry over there. Larry, Larry. He's always on his headphones. Larry. Hi. Yes. He's our Bitcoin guy. <laughs> he, he, so you want to run all of that through him. So, so yeah, crime man camp. Man camp. So <laughs> these man camps bring lots and lots of crime to Williston. And we're not just talking property crime, which is a big problem in the Dakotas. I remember one time I was at a liquor store in South Dakota and this couple pulled into the parking lot. They had New York plates and they, they get out of their car and they're standing in the liquor store in line. And the woman goes, Oh, did you lock the car? And then she goes, Oh, never mind. We're in South Dakota. Meanwhile, at the time, Sioux Falls, South Dakota had the highest property crime rate in the nation. I was just hoping someone would steal something out of that car. And maybe they did. Who knows? But there's no way to know. There's no way to know. That wasn't what these man camps brought to Williston. (laughs) No, they brought like marauding, I'm assuming. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. They brought some property crime, too. Because if you're at the store buying big crimes, you're going to pick up some property crimes also to bring home with you. When you lie down with big crimes, you're going to get small crimes. Yeah. That's what Benjamin Franklin said. Also murders, rapes, kidnappings. I I would not want to be a woman in that town. That more than anything else, that sounds, that to me sounds like the scariest thing of all. Yeah. I, I, don't think I have it in the notes because I, I think it kind of goes without saying, but women were in majority of the cases were the victims of a lot of these crimes. Like it was a yeah. lot of crimes against women. Yeah, if you can believe that. And if you're, if you're a statistics type, uh, let's run through some numbers. In 2003, the violent crime rate in Williston, North Dakota 
was 129 per 100,000 people per capita. Way, way, way below the U.S. average at the time, which was 476 per capita. By 2012, the rate in Williston was 391, which was just slightly above the U.S. average of 388. Uh. By 2014, Williston was at 533 violent crimes per 100,000 people, while the U.S. average had dropped to 362 per 100,000 people. So it's... A good comparison is the Albuquerque Police Department. The Albuquerque yes. Police Department is a fraction of the size of the notoriously violent NYPD or Chicago PD, but man, they put up so many more police brutality numbers per capita. Like they I, they really make up for the lack in size with just sheer productivity. And <laughs> that's what happened in Williston while crime and just in the back in region in general, while crime literally everywhere else in the entire country, in every other area of North Dakota, crime is going down, going down, going down. And in Williston and in the back end region, it's just fucking skyrocketing because everyone's rich. There's drugs in town. There's gangs in town. And I, I, I regret that I didn't at least go visit when all of this was happening. I, I left South Dakota by then, but I can't imagine what this place looked like. Like, I just think what it looks like now. This is a documentary because now I just like I have so many questions. <laughs> like, I want to talk to, I want to talk to any local like medical clinics to talk about what that influx was like. Uh, it's just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's a thing worth exploring because there's there's one good example: police. In yeah, I was gonna say like they don't have the kind of I mean, all things remaining constant, just the tax dollars aren't there yet. Right. Like they can't catch up to that right away. It takes years in like literally five to six years in Williston by 2017 Williston with a crime rate significantly higher than the national average. They had 23 cops. Oh, I want to talk to them. Oh my (laughs) God. That is not a lot. And yeah, one of the the problems they faced was this shouldn't shock anyone, but those oil field jobs, they paid more than being a cop. So in a lot of cases, cops were like, I'm an oil rig's not going to shoot me. Like, I'm just going to go do that. That seems less dangerous than what I'm doing now. And it pays so much more. So they like lost cops to the oil fields. And then the oil fields bring all these unruly dudes to town. And now they're like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? At one point, and again, housing is a problem. One in one of these articles, they mentioned that housing for new police recruits was a big problem. So a bunch of them had to live in a casino nearby. Oh, my God. That sounds like my dream. I would love to live in a casino. Are you kidding me? Oh, that sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> That's my personal hell. Plus, if I'm if it's five blocks from a man camp, I'm sure all of those people are hanging out you know, in basically my front yard, which is the casino all the time. That's pretty, pretty well, intense. It's, it's actually the worst kind of man camp because they're all cops. For me, this is a, this is an Uroboros of a man camp because it doesn't stop. It's like, first you have the man camp itself, which sounds very scary. It sounds like the tents are very scary. The fires are unruly. People are throwing Jack Daniels bottles into fire pits. And then they look over to the right and they're like, whoa, there's a casino. So then they all in a giant man camp group rummage themselves over to the casino and they go in there and they start marauding and then there's cops in there 
It just sounds like a very scary. And then, then there's the poor cocktail waitress. That's that's who I'm thinking of in all of this. That's just not doesn't sound good. But I do love the the that they sent the cops to live in the casino. Yeah, they didn't have they didn't have a choice. There was nowhere else to put them because there was no housing. And all of this, like we we mentioned casinos, and we're talking about North Dakota. So obviously, a lot of this is happening on Native American reservation land. With all of this crime that happened in Williston, it ends up being this weird thing where who investigates what crime and who makes what arrest is literally based on race. And one of the the best examples is a place called Fort Berthold. That is a reservation that is somehow located in six different counties. And each of those counties have their own sheriff. And then the reservation has their own tribal police. And so let's say a crime that isn't a murder happens. If the victim and suspect are both Native American, the tribal police and the FBI handle the arrest. But if the suspect, write all this down, everyone. If the suspect Uh, is not Native American, in most cases, the tribal police can detain that suspect, but they have to call the local sheriff to come actually pick that suspect up and it won't shock you to know that the local sheriff and the tribal police don't always get along that well so sometimes it'll take like three or four hours for them to come pick up someone they're supposed to arrest and then if it's a murder case yeah all the same rules apply but whether the state or the fbi gets involved also depends on the race of the victim and suspect so that's complicated enough when Williston was having 133 violent crimes per 100,000 people. Now imagine that goes up by five. There's five times more. I just 500 now. It is. It's like it really the fire fest is a pretty decent parallel because it was people were promised that, hey, come to this area. You can make money. You can live it up. And people get there and they're like, where do I go? Where am I supposed to be? Where's my apartment? They're like, we, we don't have those. There's a casino across the street, though. And yeah, it. there was, in one instance, there was a, a quadruple homicide that happened on Fort Berthold. And because no one knew who the suspect was at first and didn't know his race, none of the police agencies could really start investigating or doing anything because no one knew who's whose jurisdiction it was. Very cool. This is a quote from a Washington Post article about this that we'll link to. There are volumes of treatises on Indian law that are written about this stuff. It's very complicated. And we're asking guys with guns and badges in uniforms at 3.30 in the morning with people yelling at each other to make these decisions, to understand the law and be able to apply it. That is Timothy Purden, U.S. Attorney for North Dakota. And in regards to that quadruple homicide, this is another quote from him. Can you imagine the idea that we didn't know the race of the shooter, so we didn't know at first who had jurisdiction over the homicide? That's not something your typical county sheriff has to deal with. By 2015, things were so bad that the FBI set up a field office in Williston, North Dakota. That's so extreme. That would be troubling if you're strolling through town. You see yeah. an FBI field office in a tiny town like Williston? No. My, I'm going to, no. I'm going to be honest. My first thought wouldn't even be 
oh, what what happened here that they need an FBI field office? My first Aliens. thought, no, my first thought would be, does every small town have one of those? Is that <laughs> like, am I just, have I just been missing this every small town I go to? Like, yeah, of course we have an FBI field office. It's by the general store. Loser. Yeah. Oh shit. So there is one kind of cute thing that happened as it related to the the back in oil boom. This happened in 2019. There's another town in that region called Watford City that also kind of experienced it experienced the exact same thing as sure. Williston. Uh, we just focused on Williston because we had to focus on one of them. And in Watford City in 2019, it was simultaneously named the most charming town in North Dakota and the most dangerous town in North Dakota. <laughs> MSN, they came up with the charming label. They based it solely on tourism websites and like Chamber of Commerce stuff and didn't even look like probably just assuming. Yeah, I mean, it's Williston or it's Watford City. There's not going to be crime. We don't have to look into that. Oh, so they man. named it the most charming town in North Dakota. Meanwhile, Road Snacks, which I don't I don't know who that is, but they labeled it the most dangerous town in North Dakota. And they based theirs on FBI crime statistics, which MSN. Well, yeah, hey, MS- roads, road snacks, as we know, are stat people. If there's, everybody, if there's everybody one thing knows. we know about road snacks. Yeah, it's that. Yeah. It's it's all, it's math centered right. thinking. So that's, that's, you know, we can, I, I know I get all my election news from road snacks. Hey, you want to be like me? make podcasts that everyone loves yeah you do but chances are you don't want to spend a bunch of money doing it no worries a solution exists spotify's got a platform that lets you make podcasts super easy then distribute those podcasts everywhere and you can even earn money doing it all in one place for free it's called spotify for podcasters and here's how it works spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Also, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. I'm speaking from experience when I say that all those additional features like video podcasts, Q&As, polls, Those are things you won't find for cheap elsewhere, but with Spotify for podcasters, it's all totally free, no catch. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Thanks. We love you. Now let's talk about another small town skidmore missouri which right off the bat great name missouri is the show me state caitlin sorry where did that come from it's just the truth it's a it's a thing i learned on the internet i'm gonna look that that up and see if it's true when we're done with this can you please i will so skidmore missouri not a high crime area by any stretch of the imagination population 250 i've done comedy in front of more people so so my graduating class is bigger than this town also. Yes, yes. Got it, got it. Um, question before we dive too deep. I'm ready. 
on a scale of one to 10, one being not likely at all and 10 being it's absolutely happened, what are the odds that every eighth grade boy, all five of them in this town, mm-hmm. called their homestead Skidmark, Missouri? I saw where that was going and I'm with you. I'm probably gonna- everyone. That's good teenage fun right there. Right there. That's all it is. Moving on. Just just wanted to get that out. So Skidmore, Missouri, you can Google Street View it probably. If not, just Google it and look at some pictures. Dreary place. It <laughs> does not. It's no Dreary. Williston, that's for sure. <laughs> it wishes it had the nightlife and good time party vibes of Williston, North Dakota. It is a desolate hellhole in the middle the of Missouri. Opposite of a Norman Rockwell painting. Even though it's not a high crime area, when crime happens there, oh man, it is. (laughs) Does it happen? Entertaining. There's actually a great documentary series about this called No One Saw a Thing. And it's ostensibly about the first story we're going to talk about, which is Ken Rex McElroy. But it actually gets into the entire history of Skidmore, Missouri. And it's. Yep. Here's how scary Skidmore is. That documentary is produced by Jason Blum. Nope. From Blumhouse, who makes all the fucking horror movies. They also produced this. He produced it. It's not a Blumhouse thing, but he produced it. But the first story and the most famous story, it's one I think people might be familiar with. Ken Rex McElroy. He was the town bully, basically, back in the day, in the 60s and 70s. Except in a really extreme way. Not like the, the guy who would punch the beeve in his stomach and steal his lunch money. Did that ever happen on leave it to beaver? I don't know, but uh, he, it should have, it should have, someone should have beat the so, shit out of that kid. Let's just put that out there. But Ken Rex McElroy, great name. Such a good name. He was, he was a little more aggressive than that. He would steal from people. Mm. He would rob people. Mm-hmm. He burned a few houses down. He oh. raped women. Okay. This is getting a little, he, kidnapped a 12 year old girl and eventually made her one of his wives. He had multiple wives. It's a long list, Adam, of this person. He stalked people. He shot people. Honestly, now I'm, now I'm past the bell curve and I'm impressed again. I'm back at impressed. He killed pets, which that's a line too far. right? Well, now I don't like him anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You can kill me all you want, but you leave my dog alone, you motherfucker. But I'm, ass- I'm assuming we're talking full circle here because th- he's got to have started with killing pets. Oh, probably. And then ended or throughout. He was a big revenge guy. He loved he loved getting revenge on people who wronged him and well, or what he perceived as being wronged. Obviously. Yeah, a lot of attraction. Yeah. I, uh, he's, he's attracting a lot yeah. of interesting people into his life. So eventually the town had enough. And the thing about a town of 250 people, if you're being too much of a ruckus, mm-hmm. 249 is a manageable crowd. They can they can share a secret in a room and then go out and put that secret into work in the town. Yeah. Also, like, they gave it a long, long lead time, it sounds like. He had plenty of time to chill the fuck out. Yeah. I wonder what the, what would you know what the crime was that was the line? Was it the, the pets? No one knows. That's the thing. No, no one knows what finally pushed people over the edge. Okay. But on July 10th, 1981, Mm. a group of more than 50 Skidmore residents surrounded Ken Rex McElroy's truck while he and his wife were sitting in it. 
they yeah. had pulled up to this bar and this bar owner had all sorts of issues. Basically people would not go to his bar anymore because it was Ken Rex McElroy's favorite bar. So they, and they were too scared of dealing with a drunken Ken Rex McElroy. So one day he pulls up to this bar and when he does a group of about 50 people walk out from inside the bar and surround his truck while his wife is in it. And then someone shoots him in the head a few times. Sure. Uh, They don't shoot the wife. Someone I think actually pulled the wife out of the truck while it was happening, which is gentlemanly. It's the noble thing to do when you're murdering someone's husband. I have a hard time believing that this was a amicable, happy marriage. I don't want to jump to conclusions. Yeah. You got to watch the documentary. She very much defends her husband and got it. Okay. uh, Was, was very troubled by this murder. Hmm. And the thing is, despite all those witnesses being there, no one saw anything. That's why the documentary is called No One Saw a Thing. There are huh. even some suggestions that the sheriff was in on it. And I th- when you watch the documentary, it's pretty clear he was. But yeah, like 50 witnesses. No one no one saw anything. Who's this guy think he is? Tupac? Well, okay, I got a question though. So are we dealing with like a person that also, that absolutely did these things? Or is this like a Boo Radley issue where everybody just thinks this is a weird guy? I mean, is that what the wife's argument is, is that he wasn't guilty of this stuff and the town gossip mill she, got out of hand? Or is this no, like, no, he, okay, okay. he did all these things. He's, he was, he's he, a slime ball. He, he was, he was a monster. He was the skid mark. Yeah. Got like, it. Okay. Like you kind of have to be for the entire town to, to turn on you like that. No, angry mobs are weird. Yeah. I, that's why I'm asking. It's like, yeah, it's no, a, it, it wasn't an angry mob thing. It was a build okay. up over years and years and years. And they finally, uh, okay. finally were, I imagine sure. someone at some point was like, we should just fucking kill him. Just and in the spirit some, of, and someone in that, yeah. someone in that room was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't we? Yeah. And that person was probably the sheriff because yeah, when they, the, the sheriff is among the people who's like, yep, no idea. No idea who did it. And meanwhile, when you watch this documentary, they're like, we all know who did it. Everyone knows who did it. That was, we all, we all really like that person. We, we appreciate that person and we will never give their identity away. Public service. That's what happened with jam master Jay. When, when he was murdered in Queens and like, I think that was like 2002 Mm -hmm. and like years and years later, there was a documentary and everyone was like, yeah, we know who did it. Of course. Like, there were people in the room when it happened. Of course we know who did it, but it took like 20 years for the police to solve that case. Well, I mean, I mean, if this guy was this guy, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I it's so weird. Cause I, I'm yeah. so leery of a group of like a, a, like a town getting together and being like, we're going to commit an act of vigilante justice in unison. That makes me a little nervous for good reason, but that was a long list you gave me, Adam. He, he was, he was a character. He did a lot of shit in that town for a lot of years. Yeah. And then you got to wonder why he wasn't convicted before. Was it just, he was really good at the, being a shithead? The cops were scared of him. Like Copy that. the, the cops wouldn't arrest him. Like he, there were actually times where he was arrested and tried for crimes and he never got convicted. Like he would go to court. He would go to trial. I got to watch this somehow, documentary. 
It's Can't fascinating. Wait. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta check it out. And so they do this in 1981. The town sure. kind of conspires to commit murder in unison, and everything's normal for like 20 more years after that. Mm. But mm. starting in the year 2000, things for a couple of years there get very, very weird. Well, it was the year of the future, right? It's the the millennia. It's the pr- this is probably a Y2K bug thing. It's oh, probably probably why this came back. Yep, latent but, Y2K oversight. Oversight. Right. So in 2000, the Y2K bug causes a woman named Wendy Gillenwater yep. to be stomped to death by her boyfriend. <laughs> Sorry, it's just the way you say things sometimes. Me stomped to death. Stomped to D, which is short for death. So it saves you time. So yeah. like a river dance situation, Michael, Michael, more like Michael flattened. Oh, oh, <laughs> Adam Caitlin. here to work today. Caitlin. Adam. I came packing. God, that was funny. I came packing the heat. Oh my God. What a horrible way to die. That's a horrible way to die. And there are people on the internet who uh-huh. somehow have gotten it in their head that that's not how she died but mm-hmm. instead was dragged through town while hanging from her boyfriend's car. Shit. This it, is neither, I don't want to pick either of these deaths. Neither. This, this poor woman. Yeah. Neither is the warrior's death that I want, but it does seem like you'd be able to tell the difference between those two things. Maybe not. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of, I just rewatched Midsummer, So maybe like a stomping to death is kind of similar to the caved in face image that I'm a assuming yeah but i don't know it depends is it a paved road because i've seen autopsy photos of people who've been dragged and i i gotta be honest with you it's it's hard to tell what happened to that person it's bad times especially if it's from the neck because yeah. of things that can happen we'll just leave it at that Ugh. so there Jesus. was that that's a pretty straightforward crime but then the following year 2001 the branson perry case for my money i don't think Skidmore crimes get any weirder than this one. And that is saying a lot considering the story we're going to end on. It's a lot. This one, Branson Perry, this is wild. There's not a whole lot to it. Like not a lot that we know. Here's what we know on April 11th, 2001, Branson Perry was cleaning his house. He had a friend over. Her name was Gina. And he told Gina that he was going to the shed out back to put some jumper cables away. And he would be right back. And he walked out the door to do that and fucking vanished. No crime scene, no blood, nothing. Like he just fucking evaporated. And even weirder, there were two people on the property working on his dad's car. They didn't see anything. His friend didn't see anything. And the jumper cables initially disappeared also. And then just showed up in plain sight on the property again two weeks later. Sure. Was it fucking aliens? Like, what happened to this kid? And that's kind of it. Like, there was never, there are a few theories about what happened to him. What year was this? This was 2001. April 11th, 2001. So. Wow, 20 years ago. So, uh, thanks again, 9-11. You basically kept us. For making Branson Perry national news, and now here we are. We still don't know where he is. And yeah, they don't know what the jumper cables thing is weird to me, that they just showed up. And it's not like they showed up and they were like, oh, yeah, we didn't even look there. There they are. 
They were just in the middle of the yard and people scoured this town looking for Branson Perry after this happened. So of course they looked in the backyard on the ground. Yeah, I would. Yeah, you would think. You think I you'd would at look least on the ground first. You'd follow yeah. his path back to the shed if nothing else. Maybe start wow. there. And he just disappears. And there are a few theories about what happened. His friend who was in the house said they had been starting to dabble in drugs. And she thought maybe he got like he fell into debt with drug dealers. That's always a sketchy theory to me because it doesn't like I know we see it in movies. And, no, it's but it doesn't it doesn't make financial sense for drug dealers to kill everyone who owes them money. Like you, the, then they're not going to give you any more. You don't kill your customers. They also are not organized the way people think they are. Like right. drug dealers just shoot you and drive away and then they get caught. That's typically what happens. Like it's not an abduction. Abductions are hard. Yeah. Abductions are really, really hard. And if there was someone inside the house, if it had been a gunshot or I mean, they, they would have heard something. Right. I mean, and it's and it's not like a drug dealer has, you know, ether on hand to just sneak up behind you and yeah. knock you. It's and I'm assuming this is a young guy, strong guy. So it's really hard to abduct someone. I don't think people really understand how hard it is, yeah. especially a, a grown man. And frankly. this is I mean, this is like beyond an abduction. It's like a fucking magic trick. Yeah. And how would they know when the kid, the guy was going to leave? Because if you're going to do an abduction, any criminal will tell you, you have to plan it. So if it was as spontaneous as this guy walking out of a house with some cables. Yeah. You don't know that's going to happen. No. And we're talking about a small town. So if there's some weird car parked out front, they're going to know it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it was drug dealers. Theory two. (sighs) This one is crazy. This is his dad's theory. Apparently, according to uh, Branson Perry's own father, uh, Branson, a few weeks before this happened, was drugged and raped by a male neighbor. And his dad's thinking is that maybe Branson just left town out of shame, which maybe. But you'd think he'd at least be like, I'm going to the store for a pack of cigarettes. I don't understand the just like walking into the ocean vibe though of this, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's still that because even like, even if that was the plan, you could just move like a normal person. Did they know who had committed the the rape? I think so. I couldn't find. Okay. Which that's also, but like just hearing that that happened in a town of 250 people, I'm like, fucking what? Like that's, that's rare. Yeah. That's a rare crime. And so that's his dad's theory that maybe that, made Branson flee town, which, okay. ugh. and then this is all feeling very monsters ball. Like this is like, well, buckle up. I know. I know what's coming. I know. Uh... The third theory, it involves a sex criminal named Jack Wayne Roberts. Caitlin. Always a middle name. He was arrested in 2003 after he botched an amateur sex reassignment surgery in a hotel room. No, no, no. I know. I knew you were going to say it out loud. I I knew what was coming. You guys, he sends me the notes, (sighs) but it's not real until Adam says it. And it's very just. So that's a guy that uh, people. (laughs) He's on the radar. Have some questions about what is with this town? No, it's like that's. And when police searched this guy's computer, they found child porn, obviously, 
well, as, as you would expect. going to happen. But also a bunch of really sadistic short stories that he wrote about sexual assaults. And one of them involved a young male hitchhiker whose description matched Branson Perry's. But this guy says he had no involvement in it. But also, he's in prison for his other crimes, for the, the sex reassignment thing, but only for 30 years. So he doesn't have that kind of like, oh, well, I'm in prison the rest of my life. I might as well confess to this. Like, he might still get out. So it would make sense for him to be like, mm, never heard of the kid. Sorry to be quiet. I just don't know where to put this. I, he's, this, is, this is a town, man. And somehow it gets weirder. Because for one thing, there is another crime that happens that is even crazier than Branson Perry. But also the woman it happens to is Branson Perry's cousin, a woman named Bobby Joe Stinnett. Okay, I just want to put, just say this, it's a small town. So I would assume everybody's somebody's cousins. cousins But they probably dated. Horrible, horrible tragedy amongst the ranks. I'm not... I'm not trying to minimize that part. I just, the cousin part is probably the only part of this that checked out. Yeah, that's true. Felt normal to me. (laughs) So this is, Uh, this is another relatively famous story. If you watch your true crime shows, you've heard of this. Bobby Jo Stinnett, she was a 23-year-old woman found dead by her mother. And when her mom calls 911, she tells the operators, and this is a quote, it looks like her stomach exploded. Sure. But that is not what happened. As it turned out, Stennett had come into contact with a woman named Lisa Montgomery on the internet. Bobby Joe Stennett was a dog breeder, and Lisa Montgomery initially contacted her about buying a dog. But when Lisa Montgomery shows up to inquire about that dog, she immediately starts choking Bobby Joe Stennett until she passes out. And then uh, we haven't even mentioned Bobby Joe Stennett pregnant at the time. Yeah. So after choking her, she cuts her open and takes the baby. Yeah, I know the story. And if you watched any true crime shows about this, like she like kind of stalked this woman online because it's another thing where you can't just do it on instinct. You got to know how old that kid is inside that survive belly to survive being taken out. And she struck when she knew the baby would survive. And the baby did. She cut this baby out. And then she'd been telling her family that she was pregnant for like months. Sure. That checks out. Everyone was very skeptical because she had had her tubes tied nine years earlier, but she was like, no, 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 no. I'm pregnant. Crazy, huh? And then one day shows up with a baby, a newborn baby and her family and friends are like, fuck. Okay. I guess, I guess so. You, You got a baby. And then news of what happens to Bobby Joe Stinnett starts yeah, making the rounds. Yeah. And her family and friends are like, you fucking cut that baby out of that woman, didn't you? <laughs> fucking we weirdo. Gotta, we got to talk. Yeah. And so they, the police arrested her, obviously. They were, they were able to, to track her down. The, the kid lived. The, the kid, when they found that's, her, that's was good. in, you know, as good of health as... One can be after being forcibly ripped from your mother's womb. Sure. And she ended up being placed in the custody of her father. So uh, at least the baby survived. I think this town is cursed. It is like. Because it's, these are weird stories. These aren't like, it's not like man camp. 
Yeah, this is, it's a this diff- is, totally different thing. This is a very Stephen King vibe town, it sounds like to me. And I should mention one last detail. In January 2021, yep. Lisa Montgomery became just the third woman to be executed by the federal government. Way to smash the patriarchy, Lisa. Fuck your glass ceilings, uh, criminal justice system. I mean, are we going to rehab Lisa, though? This I have a hard time <laughs> feeling sorry for her. I Oh, no, I don't feel sorry. For I, her. You know, it's weird. I, I'm not I'm not a death penalty advocate because uh, I just I feel like existentially it's a bigger punishment to just yeah. make somebody live in a box forever. Same. Uh, this one, you know, I'll, I'll fight for reform, but this this one can kind of. Yeah, it is what it is what it is. I'm the same way. This is not a good this isn't an example of how horrible the death penalty is. I'll say that Yeah, for for lots and lots and lots and lots of reasons. The death penalty is a very bad thing. Yeah, but you're right. However, there are some times where I'm like, we'll let this one slide. This is fine. (laughs) You're going to you're going to cut a baby out of somebody. Yeah, we're going to we're going to need you to. We're going to need to work. Have you come in on Saturday? Like we're going to. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the problem with the death penalty is that there isn't like a lottery system. So we get to decide who gets to kill the person. Like I would enter like the hunger games. Like you send a a representative from your family to be the one that takes this cancer out of society. If they did it that way. And if everyone was guilty, for sure, because that's the other big thing with the death penalty. Yeah, they just need to gamify the system and make sure the people that have enrolled in the candidacies are actually guilty, which we've got a problem with. This one seems pretty known, pun intended, cut and dry. Yeah, she can go. Yeah, you're right. She can go. This is a pretty clear cut crime, Caitlin. Right? Yeah, I get the joke. I do get the joke. Yeah. I get it. I get the joke. I feel so sorry for everybody in Skidmore. I I can't imagine that you wouldn't like, why wouldn't you just be like, fuck this place? Cause some people can't move. I mean, this is the thing. Yeah. It's like some people can't leave. I mean, like the people that, you know, grew up six blocks from man camp. What do you do? Yeah. That, it's the same. Like whenever there's a hurricane and people are like, well, why don't you just get in your SUV and drive to your lake house? Yeah, like, I not everyone can just up and flee to a place when something no, happens. No, I feel lucky that that's a possibility for me eventually. That's always going to be on the table, but for a lot of people it's not. And uh, God, I I I'm so I have the willies from these two towns that we've talked about today. I feel icky. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable, especially Skidmore. Like there's all these theories on the Internet about why this stuff's happening, but it's nothing that makes sense. People like one theory is that it's drug related. It's like uh, this isn't drug stuff. Drug stuff is not drug stuff is not mysterious. There's no other word. There's nothing mysterious about drug crimes. Like if you talk to people that investigate this stuff, it's very obvious right away when something is drug related. It's just, it's very, very, there's always money missing always. And that's one thing I meant to mention at the top of the show is that there are tons of small towns where that's the thing, where it's just a place that is being ravaged by America's drug epidemic. Yeah. That I don't, that doesn't count. That's terrifying on a social level. Yeah, absolutely. This is different. This is walking into Williston and seeing an FBI field office and being like, why? There is still something fundamentally wrong with a town that 
corporally agrees to go in on a murder together. Like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to make you feel good. That's going to live with everyone forever. And I don't know what that breeds, but this is a good indicator. If 20 years later, we've got somebody botching a sex assignment surgery, <laughs> we've got babies being cut out of mom's tummy. It's a little strange. Yeah. And the thing about all of those witnesses, like if you were there and you don't feel good about it anymore, what are you going to do? Tell? You're going to go tell the sheriff that was in on it? He's going to tell the people that No, that's what I mean. Is Ken like, McElroy and they will come kill you probably. Yeah. It's, it's a weird, you know, but it's so strange. I mean, it's such a complicated thing that it's kind of like the outcome of, of the baby snatcher woman. It's like, I don't necessarily want somebody like that guy to walk around and, and get away with everything. I, I wish the local law enforcement had had some spine and done their job. Yeah, that would have been the I mean, thing. That's like, the thing that should have happened. So I'm more interested in why I want to get into that case. I'm curious about why he wasn't convicted. If everybody in town is so sure that he's committed all of these heinous acts, which again, you, that was a long list, Adam. Uh <laughs> Why was he walking around? Why was he free to marry a 14-year-old and be a bigamist? And I don't understand. Yeah. It's great. You got to watch the documentary. Yeah, so, I'm going to. There's, I'm going I to. think it's four episodes. Oh, it's that's on, awesome. It's on the, I want to say it's called the Documentary Channel. I had to pay for a subscription on Amazon to watch it. Sure. I, honestly, I like, uh, this has only come up, this has never come up. I like a four-parter. Yeah. Once we get into five, especially eight I'm I'm out. Yeah, even the Woody Allen documentary oh, that's on uh, HBO right now, which is really good and really uh, informative, but also it way overestimates how much I care about Mia Farrow's childhood. It's like <laughs> you can you can condense that into like two three minutes and don't bore us. Get to the chorus, please. Yeah, I I haven't started that yet. I it's, that whole topic is really depressing to me. It's um, so much crazier than. I'm sure it is. Anyone I, realized. I believe that he did those things. I think I'm one of those people that's like genuinely heartbroken that he's that creepy because I used to love his stuff. What a place. What a place, Skidmore, Missouri. Skidmore, Skidmore. It's a hell of a town. If you decide to visit, send us a postcard, please. Uh, Ooh, but yeah, also I don't. Guess. Also don't visit. Uh. The, the pictures make it just look like one long alley. Yeah, it looks it it looks like a ghost town. It's really weird. It it reminded me a little bit of the city of industry. It's very yeah. strange for me to think that people actually live there. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Uh but I think that's our episode. Yeah, we did it, Adam. This was this was a, a good one. It was a long, hard fought battle <laughs> to get it done. I'm still wearing an eye patch. <laughs> we did it, man. Caitlin had You're... a forty five minute phone call in the middle. <laughs> I sure did. I sure did. Boss calls, got to answer. Good times, but we made it. Caitlin. We made it. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? We're still alive. We're still alive. You can follow this show at Pretty Scary Boo on Twitter. You can follow me at Adam Todd Brown. That's Todd with one D on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Bossy Matilda, or you can just look up Caitlin Cut. Uh, and I am Caitlin Rose Cut on Instagram. Oh. I've gotten two marriage proposals recently via social media, and I just nice. want to say I'm Congrats. very sorry. I'm already married. Well, you can so Ken McElroy it. We can go Pick to up Skidmore. A couple extras. 
we don't know, but uh, very sweet, really very nice of you. I'm going to say no. Wow. Disappointing. It's a disappointing yeah. ending to this podcast. I'm going to say no, but it's nothing personal. I just, that's that chapter of my life is closed. I'm already married. So not looking for candidates in that department. Mm, it feels personal, but agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, that's it. Let's get out of here. Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.